In 2017, the Barna Research Group proposed this question for a survey. And Barna asked questions to various Christians to get their perspective on many things. And the question that, were, that was proposed to a group of Christians was this. How do you most often pray? How do you most often pray? 82% of Christians said that they pray alone or by themselves. 13% said audibly by themselves. And only 2% said collectively with a church. Now, mind you, in 2014, it was 4% that said they prayed collectively with the church. So three years later, we read, or it says, that only now 2% say that they only pray collectively with their church. Now, this doesn't say much about the need for corporate prayer, but rather it does speak to the importance or the church's priority toward corporate prayer. In his book of The Lost Art of Praying Together, James Banks wrote, George Bonner surveyed several hundred senior pastors to determine their top three ministry priorities. So senior pastors determine their top three ministry priorities. Discipleship and spiritual development ranked the highest, 47%. Evangelism and outreach were 46%. Preaching uh, rounded out to 35%. Prayer was not even mentioned. Only 3% of pastors listed it among their priorities for ministry. So spiritual development and discipleship, evangelism and outreach, and preaching are the top three main priorities to senior pastors, according to George Barnum. James Banks goes on to say, There is no greater need in the church today than for Christians to recapture the lost art of praying together. If you were to ask many of us, what are the marks of a true church? Many of us would say preaching the word word rightly would be at the top of the list. Right administration of the ordinances or sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism would be there. Evangelism might be there. Discipleship might be there. Some might even say that how one worships in song might be there. But very few will mention, does the church corporately pray together? Does the church set time aside to come together to pray together? And I agree with James Banks that there is no greater need in the church today than for Christians to recapture the lost art of praying together. Charles Spurgeon said, We shall never see much change for the better in our churches until, churches in general, until the prayer accompanies a much higher place, and hear this, in the esteem of Christians. We tend to think of corporate prayer as something that is optional. Like corporate prayer is sort of like the hungry and homeless. We can, if we can make it, go out to that. Or corporate prayer is something like the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study or the men's breakfast or whatever. But friends, corporate prayer is every much as important as the preaching of God's word. 
corporate prayer in our lives should have top and high priority. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just give you two points of how we are to esteem, highly esteem corporate prayer. And I don't intend to be preachy, but more so just teach you the biblical mandate for corporate prayer and the importance and privilege of corporate prayer. So the biblical mandate for corporate prayer and the importance and privilege of corporate prayer. So friends, let's consider the biblical mandate for corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is commanded by our Lord that we as Christians are to meet under one roof to pray together. But before we ask or answer what is corporate prayer or the biblical mandate for corporate prayer, we must ask the question, what is prayer? What is prayer? The Westminster Larger Catechism in question 178 asked that question. What is prayer? And the answer they give is prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Praying, praying, when we pray together, we come to the Father by faith in the merits of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is first and foremost Trinitarian. In the Spirit, we come by faith in Christ to approach the mercy seat of the Father. Prayer is the communication of all our desires to God our Father. We should think of prayer like throwing all of our wants, all of our needs, all of our desires, even our will, onto the lap of God. Prayer is not simply thinking about God or having concerns, but rather prayer is expressing need from the heart to God. You see, friends, prayer is not simply something that we do from our lips, but prayer comes from the bottom of our hearts. It comes from the very depths of our souls. And there's so many people that pray wonderfully, but at times it seems that they're just playing, they're just using words. It's not coming from the very depths of their soul. Emotion and affection and heartfelt sense of reverence and need is to be interwoven into how we pray. Prayer is the pouring out of our soul to our Heavenly Father. That is why when we pray, again, we are to pray not merely from our lips. Prayer is not first and foremost done with our lips, but it's done from our soul, from the bottom of our hearts. B.M. Palmer says in the theology of prayer that prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. Think about that. Prayer is the language of creaturely dependence. In prayer, we come to God as beggars. We come to God crawling on our knees, barely grabbing his ankles and grabbing his toes, giving to him and petitioning to him all of our wants and desires, all the things that we want to be uh, uh, fulfilled. John Calvin said that prayer is like climbing up upon our father's lap and lisping into his ear to have regular conversation. And that's how we are to think of prayer. We come as beggars, but we also come as brothers or as children of God. We climb upon our father's lap 
to lisp in his ear all of our wants and needs. Some of the Puritans would say that prayer is storming the mercy seat of God and, and trying to grab his ear so that he can listen to us. John Calvin, again, viewed prayer as gaining access into the very throne room of God. When we pray, we have the privilege of coming before the very throne of grace with boldness. We meet God by faith and we lisp into his ear. Prayer, when we pray, is to speak to the one who knows everything about you and speaking to him as if he knows nothing about you. We speak to the one who's omniscient, who knows it all, who is declared the end from the beginning, as if he knows nothing about you, nothing about history, nothing about the world, what's going on in your life. So what is corporate prayer then? Well, simply put, corporate prayer is a group of believers coming together to pray together. Corporate prayer is a group of believers coming together and praying together. So what is the biblical witness to this corporate prayer? Is corporate prayer something that we have tacked on uh, as a tradition without any biblical warrant? Well, not at all. If we were to build a biblical case for corporate prayer, if you were to, if someone was to ask you, give me a group of verses that speak to the biblical witness of corporate prayer, where would you go? Well, for many of us, we would probably go to the New Testament we would go to the book of Acts. We'd see prayer there. We might go to the general epistles. We might go to some of the gospels that speak of Christ praying with his disciples. But friends, we need not think that corporate prayer is only found in the New Testament. But rather, corporate prayer finds its origins. It finds its roots in the Old Testament. In fact, I would argue that corporate prayer finds its origins in the very first chapters of Genesis. When we consider corporate prayer and its biblical mandate in the Old Testament, it was the godly line of Seth in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, where we see the world's first prayer meeting. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 reads like this. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So here we have a group of believers, the godly line of Seth, calling collectively upon the name of the Lord. The Lord calls his temple a house of prayer. In Isaiah 56, verse uh, 6 and 7, it reads, And the for, uh, foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. And hear what he says here. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. God calls his temple a house of prayer. He's characterizing the house of God as a house of prayer. The temple, yes, was a place where they were to bring uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices, where they were to worship God, but also where they were to pray to God collectively, corporately. And as we come to the New Testament, we see this greater emphasis on corporate prayer when we consider the early church in the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of how Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ spread 
throughout different parts of the world. And friends, when we consider this, this globalization of Christianity, this spread of the good news of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, how are we to characterize this spreading? Well, we can point to the preaching that the disciples and the followers of Christ had. They were equipped with the Holy Spirit to preach in such a way that gripped the hearts of many to follow Christ. We can point to some of the miracles they did. But friends, what characterized the early church and the spread of the gospel is not merely the preaching, is not merely the equipping of the Holy Spirit, and is not merely the miracles, but it was the early church's priority of prayer. It was the early church's priority of prayer that characterized their movement to go to different parts of the globe to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, we read of Christ's uh, disciples returning to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive what's promised to them by the Father. And what's promised to them, as we know, is this pouring out of the Spirit in a greater measure. But while these disciples were waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem, we read of what they were doing while they were waiting. It reads in chapter 1, Acts 1, verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, in Greek, the word translated here as devoting is in the form of what is called a present active participle. And what that simply means is this act of prayer was something that they were doing on a regular basis. It's not something that they did one time, or even one time a week, one time a month, but it's something that they did every single day. They were devoting themselves. They were giving all of themselves to corporate prayer. But we also often notice that in this text where he says, uh, all these with one accord. So this group of Christians, they pray together on a regular basis, but also in one accord. Now what this means is this speaks to the unity that the disciples had with one another as they prayed. There, there was a single-mindedness amongst the disciples as they prayed, that they all, with one mind, were all in agreement to have one goal. That is an essential part of corporate prayer, is it not? That we all have one mind, that we have one focus, we have a single mind when we come together and we pray to our God. We see corporate prayer in Acts chapter 1, verses 23 through 26. And it is here where the 12 had to choose who was going to replace Judas. Now, there was two men that were the candidates to replace Judas. Now, there's debate over who actually chose to replace Judas? Was it uh, the, the 120 followers, or was it just the 12 disciples, or 11 disciples, or was it both, one, the 120 or the 11? But in verse 24, the text says this, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these, uh, of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas had turned aside to go his own place. Here we see an example of the early church was quick to gather as a group 
to pray about an important decision. This is a big thing, that they were going to replace one of the original 12 disciples. And rather just linger over who shall they pick, this man or this man, what they do is they go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, you know what is best. See, that's how we are to approach God in prayer. The disciples' decision to choose which one was best to replace Judas was solely based on their trust and dependence on God. They began their prayer acknowledging the sovereignty that God is all in control of all things of God. And also, they, they, they realize and they have a reverence toward the omniscience of God. You know, Lord, the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Oftentimes, friends, we have a tendency to make decisions and then ask God to bless them. Like, Lord, this is what I'm going to do now. Bless my decision in doing so. But friends, in this passage, we see the opposite attitude. That although these disciples have maybe made their decision, they're coming to God for direction. However long it takes, Father, you know what's right and you know what's best. Help us in this decision. The disciples had total reliance on God as they corporately prayed together. We see corporate prayer in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Just after Pentecost, where 3,000 people chose to follow Christ. The greatest uh, evangelism sermon and event to ever take place in the world. 3,000 people chose to follow Jesus Christ. And then Luke tells his readers in chapter 2, verse 42, what these converts did after coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and the prayers. Here we see the four marks of a healthy church. If you all want to know what are the four marks of a healthy church, what defines a healthy church, read Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Sound teaching, corporate fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and corporate prayer. That's what defines a church. That's what makes a church a sound and biblical church. And to the early church, corporate prayer was deeply rooted into the DNA of corporate worship. If you were to ask the early church, what is corporate worship? First and foremost, they would say, well, corporate prayer. You can't have corporate worship without corporate prayer. And you can't have corporate prayer without corporate worship. They go hand in hand. In Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30, a corporate meeting uh, is held as the people plead for boldness. But notice the choice of words that they use in this prayer. Acts 40, uh, chapter 4, verse 42 through t- uh, verse 24 to 27 says this. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God, together to God, and said, Sovereign Lord, who have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city city, there were gathered together against your holy servants, for whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, saints, when we consider this verse, these verses, this is a great model of how we are to pray to God. A great model. In prayer, we must, from start to finish, acknowledge and plead that God's sovereign will will be done. And when we pray that way, what we are doing is we are aligning our will with God's will. You see, friends, when we pray, we're not changing the mind of God. We all know that, hopefully. When we pray, we're not changing the will of God. When we pray, we are not giving God advice on how we should handle certain situations. Because if we were ever to do that, then God would stop being God, and we would be God's counselor. But rather, when we pray, what we are doing is we are, as best as we can, asking God to align our will with his will. For he knows best. He declares the end from the beginning. He is sovereign over all. He is omniscient. And that's what we do in corporate prayer and in prayer privately. Why pray? Well, why not pray? Because it conforms you more into the image of Jesus Christ. And in this text we see that such prayers... God loves to answer. These, pray, these men have, are praying for boldness in light of such opposition. In verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. If you ask God for more boldness in the worksite, do you think he's not going to give you more boldness in the worksite? This doesn't make any sense. If you ask God for healing so you can come to Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, you think God is not going to heal your body? He commands you to go to church. He will answer your prayers. And lastly, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, when King Harold arrested Peter, while Peter was in prison, it reads that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The church came together. They prayed for Peter's release. And what happens? Peter's released. And I can go on and multiply examples of how corporate prayer was an essential ingredient to the growth and spiritual health of the early church. But as we come to the epistles, we see that the Apostle Paul encourages the Romans, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, and the Thessalonians to pray for his ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, He says that corporate prayer should be done in a manner that builds up the church. And that's important for us to note. When you pray corporately, don't pray to show off. You don't pray to show how much knowledge you have. Nor should you even care about that. But rather, when you pray, you are to consider the others that are around you. That is why when we pray, we are to stand up. When we pray, we are to lift our voices so everyone can be edified. Everyone can be built up in the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul instructs Timothy to lead the church in, uh, in Ephesus to pray for all kinds of men, especially kings and those in high positions. And this is to be done without anger and quarreling. Now, I know many of us have different political views. But friends, we are not to bring our political views and agendas to a corporate prayer meeting. If we are to pray for Donald Trump, then we are to pray that God will help him in all of his decision-making. If we are 
praying for uh, different mayors to be voted or, or different senators or governors. We are to put our political agendas to the side and pray that God's sovereign will through whoever he chooses will be done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, St. Paul attributes the success of his ministry to the prayers by the Christians in Corinth. Think about that. Paul's success, he attributes to the prayers that the church of Corinth had for him. But friends, ultimately, when we consider the biblical mandate for prayer, we have to consider the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That is where we find our ultimate mandate for corporate prayer. If we were to mark out some of the main features of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we can point to his miracles, we can point to his preaching. But friends, prayer is unquestionably at the top of the list. Prayer was a main feature of the life and ministry, but also how he discipled his disciples. Christ, undoubtedly, was a man of prayer. We read in Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus goes to the temple, he tosses over the, uh, the tables when they are outside, uh, you know, exchanging things for money. And what does he say when he tosses over the tables? He says that my house will be a house of prayer. Amen. Amen. We read um, in the gospel accounts when the Roman authorities go to Judas and they ask him, where is Jesus going to be so we can capture him? Judas knows exactly where Christ is going to be because he's been there before with Christ. He says, go to the Garden of Gethsemane because I've been there frequently. And when Jesus goes off to gardens or when he goes to high mountains, what does he usually do with, their, uh, what does he usually do with his disciples? Well, he teaches them in preaching, but also he prays with them. Judas knew that Jesus is going to be in the garden either teaching or praying. We see um, this also taught and the importance of corporate prayer taught as Jesus would be with his disciples. Many times when they would go to a garden or go to a high mountain, he would say, sit here while I pray. Watch me while I pray. He modeled prayer for them. Sometimes he would even pray with them. And then oftentimes he taught them how to pray. We see that in the Lord's Prayer. And when we consider the Lord's Prayer, we aren't to think that the Lord's Prayer is just to be recited privately. But I would argue that the Lord's Prayer is meant to be recited publicly, corporately, I should add. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 13. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Now, did you notice all of the plurals in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus uses the words our, we, us. In providing a model for his disciples, Jesus puts, puts it in a form that commands or condemns us for corporate use. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be said corporately, not just privately. We see corporate prayer implicitly taught in Matthew 18. Turn there if you would. 
Matthew chapter 18. And we see in Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20, uh, the Lord says this, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they should ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now stay with me here. The context of this verse is church discipline. That's the context of Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20. But it's not just about church discipline. But I would argue it's also about corporate prayer. The Lord has just given disciples instruction about how a brother who uh, trespasses another is to be handled. And in this context of explaining the significance of excommunication in verse 18, the Lord makes the remarks of corporate prayer in verses 19 and 20. We find corporate prayer in verses 19 and 20. Again, the Lord says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, notice that the Lord does not restrict his promise only to the matter of church discipline. He says anything you ask. But we also see that word agree. Now look at the text if you would. It says, if two of you shall agree on earth. Now that's an interesting word because that word agree in the original Greek literally means to call out together. It means to call out together. It means to all with one voice. You are to be like a symphony. And then we know uh, of this when we consider the word ask or request. This suggests to us a context of corporate prayer where there is to be harmony in what we ask for. Again, if two of you shall come together with one voice and ask anything, then the Lord, my Father, will hear and he will do such. We also see corporate prayer is further argued by the phrase, uh, gathering together in my name. In verse 20, would suggest that when Christians come together, they are to lift up their voice all with, with one mind and make requests to the Lord. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that this is not about church discipline. It is. But it's also about corporate prayer. Yes. That when we come together, we are coming together to call out together like a symphony to the Lord. Request anything that's on our hearts, anything that's in our souls, and the Father will answer our prayers. We see also uh, from this text that the Lord promises a special presence with his people. That when two or three are gathered, when they lift up their voices together, that the Lord will be in our midst. That there is a special privilege in corporate prayer that we receive that we don't receive in private prayer. That Jesus Christ promises his special presence when he is with us, when two or three are gathered. Amen. So corporate prayer uh, brings the special presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, and when we consider all of this, why not pray? When we consider the special presence that Christ 
promises to be with his people, why not pray together? Why not love to pray together? When two or three are lifting up their voice like a symphony, all with one mind, all with one voice, the Lord says that he will be in our midst. And praise God for that, right? We want the Lord to be in our midst when we pray together. So friends, that is a little bit of the biblical mandate and witness to corporate prayer. And I hope what you've seen is that corporate prayer is not optional. But corporate prayer is a command by God. And friends, however you view God's law, this is a good command, is it not? (laughs) This is a great command that the Lord promises he'll be with us as we pray. The privilege that we have to come together with one voice to pray to our Father. Why would you not want to do that? Let's consider now just a couple of reasons uh, why corporate prayer is important and the privilege of corporate prayer. And I just have seven reasons, and they're not long, so don't fall over. Um, so let me just give you a couple of reasons and a couple of the benefits and importance of corporate prayer. And, and I hope if you, if, if you haven't listened to anything, that you listen to these at least. Number one, corporate prayer encourages. Corporate prayer encourages. Life is hard for many of us, is it not? We go through ups and downs. We go through valleys. Many of you have come into this church, and right now you are going through a storm. Many of us are going through a valley where there is no water. There is no food. There is no resources. Some of us have come in sick. Some of us have come in with sin, with death looming, with even being broken in your heart and broken in your spirit. And at times, friends, when we are in these places, we can, we can find ourselves in despair and depression, thinking that there's no one that understands, that no one will hear me. But friends, when we gather for corporate prayer, we have the opportunity to encourage one another and build one another up. That is one of the main features of corporate prayer, to encourage and to build one another up. In corporate prayer... We remind our brothers and sisters in Christ that God will never leave us nor forsake us. In corporate prayer, we remind each other that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In corporate prayer, we remind our brothers and sisters that we have a Savior who is truly God but also truly man, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We preach the gospel to each other in corporate prayer. We encourage each other. There are many times in corporate prayer, when I come into a corporate prayer service or meeting, just feeling broken. You know, there's things in my head. There's, uh, there's like a hundred pound weight on my heart. And I feel like I'm just sinking down on the bottom. And when I hear others talk about the various things that they're, that's going on in their own lives, suddenly my problems minimize to almost to where I, I don't even recognize them anymore. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but... I felt that way many times, but also is an encouragement not to hear that this person's going through this, but this person's going through that, and he or she is still here. Amen. That if he or she can go through that, then I can go through it. Yeah. Yeah. It encourages me to keep pressing on, yeah. because friends, we go through many things in life, but there are many people in this world that are going through things that are far greater than what you're going through. Amen. And when we consider others in corporate prayer it encourages us does it not i love the story that uh, pastor and theologian joe beaky told he says that there was a elder lady that is always in the hospital 
And one time he visited her in the hospital. And when he went to shake her hand, she, you know, winced a little bit in pain. And he said, gosh, uh, I, I, I just wish I could do more for you. And then she says, you know, Pastor, I must rebuke you for saying that. And he says, rebuke me? Why? I, I've just prayed for you. He said, exactly. You've done more for me than what all of these doctors and physicians can do for me. Because you prayed for me. Prayer is a special privilege. What we do in prayer is more than what any doctor can do. More than what any physician can do. More than what anyone can do. We pray. Prayer is powerful, is it not? We are to have that type of mindset in prayer. That we're not just praying to an abstract deity. We're not just praying to that big guy in the sky, but we're praying to our Father who has a history of answering prayers. Number two, Corporate prayer in, uh, forms in us a habit of prayer. Corporate prayer forms in us a habit of prayer. Corporate prayer makes us more consistent in acknowledging that we are weak and we need to come to God who is strong. It, we, we, we acknowledge that we are nothing in this world and we need to come to God. Corporate prayer should remind us that prayer is a special privilege that believers have with their God. That not, You know that not all Christians, when they pray, God hears their prayers. Not all people, when they pray, God hears them. I can make arguments for those who are you know, the, the real staunch Roman Catholics. I don't believe that God hears their prayers. Mormons, God does not hear their prayers. Jehovah's Witnesses, Eastern Orthodox, God does not hear their prayers because they're worshiping a different God. But friends, when we come together, when we pray, we have a special privilege to where the Father in heaven inclines his ear to hear our petitions. But let me ask you a question, friends. When do you pray? When do you pray? Not the last time you prayed, but when do you usually pray? And for many of us, we probably can say, well, I only pray after I've sinned. How many can testify to that? That was me for so many years. Finding myself after I've sinned greatly is when I pray to God. Or do some of us pray before a meal? Or maybe that, you know, that, quick, prayer, that quick prayer uh, before bed, praying that God will give you good dreams, a good sleep, or whatever. But friends, corporate prayer teaches us that the Christian life is to be a praying life. The Christian life is to be a praying life. That we are to be constantly in prayer, both corporately, but also privately. Number three, corporate prayer helps us battle sin. Corporate prayer helps us battle sin. And this is, this is a glorious privilege that we have in corporate prayer. When we pray with others and confess our sins, what we are doing is we are exposing our sins to the light. We are bringing it all to the light. James exhorts us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another that you may be healed. Saints, the uh, Golden State Warriors have this phrase, there is strength in numbers. I do not know what that means. You've got to ask Pastor Antonio what that means. But when we consider that from a theological standpoint, is that not true? 
that there is strength in numbers, that there is strength in gathering with others to help you battle your sin. There is much strength in that. And when we pray corporately, we can allow others to help keep you accountable to your sin, to holiness, and to righteousness. And friends, I would also add that when you are exposing your sin, don't think that you're doing so and then many people are going to go and just exploit you. Now, the bad Christians will do that, but the good Christians will not. And I found that there are more good Christians when you tell others your sin than bad Christians because they realize exactly what you're going through. And we ought to think, ought to think that, well, when I do so, I'm just, so, I'm just going to embarrass myself. Friends, that's a true Christian. Embarrassing yourself for the sake of holiness and righteousness is a mark of a true Christian. So what if everyone knows what, what you're going through? If anything, it should, it should allow you and allow them to tell you what they're going through. So both of you can keep yourselves accountable. Friends, the Christian life is a life that is to be lived with bright headlights on. In corporate prayer, when we confess our sins to one another, that is what we are doing. We are putting those bright headlights on so others can see our blind spots. They can see that there's a stop sign there. There's a red light there. We need to slow down, right? One writer has said, if we are serious about battling our sin, we must put corporate prayer in our arsenal. Private prayer is excellent. The Word of God, keep doing that, reading the Word of God, but also add corporate prayer to your arsenal. Something that you can also put in there to help you battle your sin. Corporate prayer teaches us the wise words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If one person knows your sin, which is only yourself, then what good is that? But if two people know, then they can help you. They can lead you. They can help you in, in battling your sin. Number four, corporate prayer builds unity. Corporate prayer builds unity. If you're holding a grudge with someone in the church... If you're mad at someone, and friends, corporate prayer is the medicine, simply put. If you've, someone has wronged you in the past, if someone has done something bad by you, if someone has killed you by their words, then corporate prayer is that perfect antidote. Praying for others and hearing others pray for us naturally draws us closer together as we learn about one another. It just happens organically. As we regularly come together, we're reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian Christians that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit and bond and peace. There's one thing that we as elders so desperately desire in the church is that we have a strong unity with one another. First, it comes from Christ, and that is our basis, but also it comes from the love that we have for one another and that we pray with one another that we share what we are going through with one another. Christ commands us to show our love and show our bond of unity toward one another by the love that we have for one another. And in corporate prayer, I would argue that we fulfill that commandment more than any other when we pray together. Number five, corporate prayer removes the me-centered approach to Christianity. Corporate prayer removes the me-centered approach to Christianity. Here's this quote from Mark Devers. It's really good. 
He says, participating regularly in corporate prayer begins to take out the individualistic uh, assumption that Christianity is only about me and my relationship with God. How many of you have thought about that or believe that, that Christianity is only about me, the Holy Spirit, and my Bible? That's it. And it begins to resituate us as individual Christians in the congregation so that we become aware of this person who's sick, this person who's just had a baby, this person who's unemployed, this person who's just became a Christian. In corporate prayer, we're aware of what's going on in the lives of others. Participating in corporate prayer helps us discover that our lives as followers of Christ are tied up with one another. Many Christians are so tied up with their own problems, with their own struggles in life, what's going on in their life, where they don't have time to consider what's going on in the life of others. But saints, that's not biblical Christianity. You are not adopted to be a single child. But when God adopts you, he adopts you into a family of believers. St. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The great John Gill says, we bear each other's burdens by uh, gently reproving them, by comforting them when oppressed with guilt, when sympathizing with them in their sorrow, by praying to God for a manifest, uh, his pardoning grace to them. Now, you're not going to know any of those things if you don't pray together with one another. Friends, corporate prayer takes out the I approach to Christianity, that, that lone ranger approach that so many Christians fall victim to. We think that it's all about me, all about my relationship with God and no one else. But friends, that lone ranger Christianity is not biblical Christianity. I love this statement by John Newton, and hear this wonderful quote. He says, one of the greatest comforts I have in my life is that at any given time, I can believe that someone somewhere in this world is lifting up my worthless name and lisping it into the ears of the Lord. What great comfort that is. And that's what corporate prayer does to us, that somewhere, somewhere, Doreen, my sister Rose, Mary, Bobby, whoever, they're praying for me. They got my back. But they're not going to have your back. I'm not going to know what's going on if you don't come to corporate prayer or if you don't have that sort of relationship with them and invite them in into your life. Friends, uh, number six, I just have two more. Corporate prayer is the means by which God blesses his people. One Puritan has said, God loves to answer petitions signed by more than one signature. What a great quote that is. God loves to answer petitions signed by more than one signature. It was asked to Charles Spurgeon, who had a, over a 5,000 membership in his church. 5,000 people went to his church. They, they asked him, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, what can you attribute to the success of your ministry? He says, my people pray. Wow. One of the greatest preachers of all time, the prince of preachers, many call, right? We all love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he says, Prayer is what made my ministry a success. Amen. My people praying. And friends, when we consider uh, the great movements throughout history, when you think of the Great Awakening, when you think of the Reformation, all of those great things that happened in history, what came before it? People praying. Amen. People praying for revival. And friends, if we ever want revival to take place in Bakersfield, 
if we ever want revival to take place in California, if we ever want people to come to this church to be packed to the gills, then we must come together to pray. I would even argue that corporate prayer is just as important as going door-to-door evangelizing. Because what we are doing in corporate prayer is we are storming the mercy seat of God, and we are saying, God, do what we cannot do. Amen. And that is reach the soul of the unbeliever. Yes. And last benefit, number seven. Corporate prayer teaches us to pray and teaches our children the importance of prayer. Mm-hmm. Corporate prayer teaches us how to pray and teaches our children the importance of prayer. Saints, one of the ways that I have learned how to pray is by listening to others pray. One of the ways I have learned to pray as best as I can is by hearing you guys pray. In corporate prayer, uh, what we're doing is we are sharpening each other. Not necessarily we, when others pray, we are trying to copy each other, but we are hearing the different passion that, that Sister Mary has. We are hearing the different theological things that's being brought out as Pastor Antonio or Bobby or Scott, whoever prays, right? We were hearing, we were hearing how, how Sister Betty or Louie or Ralph comes to and approaches God as a beggar, right? That's, that's what corporate prayer does. It teaches us how to pray when we hear others pray. But also, friends, corporate prayer teaches our children the importance of prayer. And I can talk about this now because I'm a father. But friends, when we consider our children, we are, to teach, we are not to teach them that corporate prayer is an optional service. That corporate prayer is something like the hungry and homeless or something like the men's Bible study or whatever. But we are to teach that corporate prayer is something that you must go to no matter what. Amen. You see, friends, when we consider different churches and the main emphasis that they place on kids, what do we see? Well, we see the games that they play. We see the different activities that they are afforded to do. We see the million-dollar building that's been built. We see the slides, right? We see all the various bikes and toys and all that. But friends, that is not how you get your children to love the church. That is not how you get your children to love church. But rather, when you teach your children to love church, you are to teach your children to love the God of the church. If you want your children to love church, teach them to love the God of the church. Not the church activities. Not what the church does. In fact, when I was a kid, I loved church as a kid. (laughs) Uh, Why? Sunday morning. We played football. Wednesday evening, we played basketball. In between time, we painted, we colored. Uh, I can't tell you how many times when uh, the teacher would tell me to to go to my mother in the the main sanctuary because I was acting up, because I was having fun. But I didn't learn anything about God. In fact, one of the greatest things that my mother has done for me as a child is she would take me to prayer meetings. Now, as bad as I think that they orchestrated and had the prayer meeting, what I learned there was prayer is important. And I watched my mother on her knees praying to God. And I said that this is important to her. This is something to her. So it must be important to me. And it's also been said that when the children 
don't appreciate and come to corporate prayer meetings that they grow up and not even caring about praying at all. Allow your children to hear you pray. Teach them what it means to say amen after a prayer. Teach them what it means when this person says, God, I give you all glory. Teach them those things, friends. So in closing, just two things I want to leave you with. First, what have we learned? Well, we've learned that corporate prayer is a biblical mandate. That corporate prayer is a privilege that we have. That we come together in the name of Jesus Christ to approach our Father by the Spirit. And when we do so, we are aligning our will with God's will, hoping and praying with full confidence that our Father will answer our prayers. Great privilege that we have in corporate prayer. But secondly, what should be our response to such a lesson? It might seem like this is just a bunch of information, but more so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to grip your heart and soul for the importance and see that corporate prayer is vital, not just for the church, but also for your Christian life. See, saints, many Christians think that, well, since there's no teaching at corporate prayer, then the service is no use for me. What use is it? There's no teaching. There's no opening up a biblical text. We're not doing anything. But saints, what you are really communicating with that attitude is you care more about information than you care about approaching the mercy seat of God, about coming to God as a beggar, coming to God as a children, as a child, as a son and daughter of God. It's often been said that the church that uh, goes to the Sunday morning service, you can tell how much they love the preacher. But the church that goes to a prayer meeting, you can tell how much they love Jesus. You can tell how much the people love Jesus Christ by who comes to the prayer meeting. Now, I'm not saying that that is all true altogether, but there is some validity to that. So, friends, I have done my job this morning. I have taught you the biblical mandate for corporate prayer. I have laid out the best that I can, the importance of corporate prayer. Now, friends, you must do your job. This evening, we will have corporate prayer. Will you take heed to the biblical mandate, the importance, and the great privilege that we have to come together and to pray together? I hope to see you all this evening. Let's pray.